and I'd like you to take your Bibles, and we're going to turn to First Peter here tonight, continue some thoughts from the book of First Peter. Again, this book written to uh, saints, especially Jews, that were dispersed to different places. And uh, again, Paul, sorry, Peter has a message uh, for these believers as they are in places scattered throughout. Uh, the Bible says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, we'll continue to look at some thoughts that he has to encourage them as they're uh, trying to live out the Christian life. And so again, we looked at last week, again, this idea of being different in a perverse world. And uh, we need to be living a holy and distinctly Christian life in this, in this world. And uh, that's, again, uh, taught here in verse number 15, where the Bible says, But as he that has called you is holy, be uh, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And so we're to be holy, we are to be different, we are to uh, be distinct. And uh, we see, again, Peter called for this. And again, we looked at ways we can be uh, different by being obedient, being serious and, and spiritual in mind, and seeking to fear the Lord uh, we looked at those last week. But uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 22 here tonight, and we're going to read into chapter 2, verse number 3, as we consider here tonight a call to be loving. A call to be loving. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse number 22, it says, See ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto an unfeigned love for the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of our God endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, lay aside all malice all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to consider here this thought, a call to be loving. Let's consider this thought from the word of God. Father, thank you. Again, for your word here tonight, and we see here another thought here, and actually a lot of different thoughts here from the word of God and from the Apostle Peter. Help us again by your grace again to consider again some thoughts on salvation, but also some thoughts here that deal with how we should again live our life after salvation. Again, bless this time as we meet again here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage of Scripture has this common, uh, again, uh, verse in it, in verse number 22, again, that we often go to in uh, talking about new believers. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere miracle of the word that they may grow thereby. And so tonight I'd like to look at some thoughts for new believers and also for believers in general here tonight as we consider this thought, how God would have us to be a loving Christian. We see this in verse number 22. It says, See ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth uh, through the Spirit unto an unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart 
fervently. We'll look a lot at this verse here towards the end of the message here tonight, but I want to mention some things, first of all, that are mentioned here when it comes to salvation. And so I want to say, first of all, there are four things that accompany a new birth or a new beginning when it comes to salvation. And they're mentioned in our text here. And so I want to just mention them here to begin with. In salvation or the new birth, there is a complete and uh, full, if you would, purifying that takes place. And that's mentioned in verse number 22. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And it goes on from there. As we talk about this thing that accompanies salvation, that of purifying. In other words, when you get saved by grace, you are made pure. You are made clean. You are made whole. You are completely forgiven. And the Bible, again, talks about the, the, uh, uh, the thought or the doctrine of sanctification. And uh, when we obey the gospel, it mentions here, we are sanctified or we're purified, as it's mentioned here. Ye have purified your souls. This purification process is complete and whole. Uh, you see it mentioned back there, this, this sanctification. Mentioned in chapter 1, verse number 2 again. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. Here it mentions the sanctification of the Spirit. By the Spirit we are completely made whole. We are justified, we are purified, we are washed. And there's a lot of other words we could talk about before God. And this is a complete work. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. There are people that, again, believe in salvation. And they believe, again, there needs to be a kind of a maintenance program when it comes to salvation. You maintain your, your salvation maybe by taking the Lord's Supper and and they talk about the communion and a person needs to take the Lord's Supper and, and things along that lines to maintain their salvation or something along the line. It says there's nothing like that taught in the Bible, but there is a complete sanctification and, uh, again, say, uh, salvation that, again, uh, takes place once we are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number uh, 10 through verse number 14 a sanctification sets us apart where in the Old Testament, atonement only would, again, give us, so to speak, or give them, so to speak, a, a sanctification that would last about a year because they had a yearly a day of atonement and they'd have that atonement day uh, every year. And again, it would wash away the sins of the old year. And, and again, they'd go through the next year and then they'd go through that process over and over again. But uh, the New Testament and through Jesus Christ, there's a complete sanctification that takes place. Hebrews 10, verse 10, it says, By which we will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ uh, once for all, sanctified through the body of Christ. And every priest standeth daily and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
And so we see in the Bible this complete sanctification. We call it, again, uh, being sanctified. And again, we, we talk about positional sanctification. That is where clean and made whole and forgiven and perfected at the point of salvation. And again, when you talk about a, a saint, we can talk about saints being sanctified. And again, there are a lot of different verses that deal with this, but I just want to just uh, give you a couple just to, to look at Acts 26, verse number 18. Someone says, how does this sanctification process uh, take place? It, it takes place through faith in Jesus Christ. Once someone has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has been saved by grace, been born into the family of God, they are sanctified uh, by faith forever. Acts 26 and verse number 18, the Bible says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So again, in salvation, there's this spiritual purifying process that takes place. We're clean through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not made clean through baptism, which some may teach, but we're clean through salvation in Jesus Christ. And you'll see letters addressed to the sanctified saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 2. And other epistles written to the sanctified. That means that they're clean. They've been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you turn back to our text, we see a new beginning in a person's life. It starts with a purifying process. It takes place by faith. It takes place once. And we are sanctified by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. But also we see in our text here that in this new beginning we have in salvation, there's also a new love capacity given to us. We see that in verse number 22. It says, seeing you have been purified in obeying the, the truth through the Spirit unto an unfade love for the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so we see in our text here that there's this ability to have an unfeigned love for the brethren. This is not something we can have before we're saved by grace, but this is something that accompanies salvation. When a person gets saved by grace, they have a new capacity to love, and especially a love for the brethren. There again, this, this, this capacity to love the brethren is something that we can have, but it's also something we must nurture and it's something we must seek to choose to have. It says in verse 22, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You've got this capacity to love, but you also have to make a choice to love. And so we see this love capacity. You know, there are a lot of different events where there's a capacity. And maybe the seating for an event is 2,000, and the capacity is to have 2,000, but... Really, the capacity is built by those who make a choice to go to that event or be involved with that. So it is with love's capacity. We have a capacity to love here, the Bible teaches us, with an unfeigned love, a true love. And so the text mentions that. But also we see in this 
passes of Scripture that salvation, this new beginning, starts with a new birth. And we see that in verse number 23 and how that comes to be. It says, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so someone says, how is someone saved? By a new birth. And that new birth comes by what means? It says, not of corruptible seed, but by the word of God. So how is someone born again? You need the, you need the word of God. But there's also something also involved with this. And let's turn over to John chapter 3. There are two seeds, if you would. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before. But there's, there's really two seeds needed in a physical birth, in a sense. There are two uh, uh, peoples need to be involved with a physical birth. There are two persons, that, uh, two things that are involved with this, this new birth. And in John chapter 3 and uh, verse number 5, the Bible says, and Jesus answered, Verily, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so there's a spiritual birth. In verse 6, it mentions being born of the Spirit. And it mentions there in verse number 8, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. Or whether it goes, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So how is, how is one born again? Well, the Bible says here in John chapter 3, you're born of the Spirit. First Peter says you're born again of the Word. And so well, how are we born again? By the Spirit and by the Word. Two elements needed in a new birth. Again, we'll turn back to our text again as we consider... This new beginning, it begins with a spiritual purifying. It includes a new love capacity. It is a birth that comes from above to the Spirit and through the Word of God. And uh, we see there in verse number uh, 24 and 25 that, again, with this new beginning, there's also, in this new beginning, the fact that we've, again, been blessed by grace. In verse 24, it says, For all flesh is grass, and all glory of man as the flower of glass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of God endureth forever. And this word, which by the gospel was preached unto you. And so God was gracious to give us the gospel of grace. And this is the means by which we enter into the kingdom of God. And so these are just some elementary things mentioned here about the new beginning. But I want to mention here this call to love, which is mentioned in our text. And so we're going to concentrate largely on this here tonight. Um, as Again, this is the message I believe that Peter would have us especially to get here in this text. In verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth. Uh, through the Spirit, unto an unfaded love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What do we see here? We see the capacity to love. We have the capacity to love, and we mentioned we have the capacity to love, but in having the capacity to love, we can love at different levels, as we see in the Bible. And uh, we could talk about love and the capacity of love. There's a brotherly love. There's a higher love. And there's a Christ-like love and all these kind of things. But 
The text mentions here, again, a, a kind of love that, again, I want to uh, draw your attention here to. It says that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Do we have fervent love for our fellow believers? You know, we have the capacity to love. We have the capacity to be thankful. We have the capacity to be prayerful. We have the capacity to be helpful. We can go on with a lot of different things. We have capacity to do a lot of things. But here we see him call us to love. He calls us to, first of all, an unfeigned love, as is mentioned in the text there. What is this? It's simply a sincere, real love. And then he calls us not only to know that we have the capacity to love, but that we have the ability to love. And again, it mentions there, we have the ability to love fervently, with a pure heart, fervently. This call to love is not just something that Peter calls Christians to, but let's turn, if you would, to John chapter 13. There are 13, at least 13 commandments for Christians to love. And you say, why would there be a, a, a commandment to love? I mean, Christians can love. Why don't they just simply love? Well, we can choose to love. And we can choose not to love. We can choose to sin. We can choose to be holy. And so we see here in the Bible, this commandment to love is mentioned uh, by Peter, but it was also mentioned by the Lord Jesus Christ here in John 13, verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if you command someone to do something, it's something that they can or can't do. You know, we could call a Christian to submit. We could call a Christian to work. We could call a Christian to labor. We could call a Christian to love. In our text, we see a call to love. But in order to love, if you turn back to our text, there, there's some things we must leave behind. If you're going to love, you're going to have to leave some things behind. You're going to have to lay some things aside. And they're mentioned in our text here, and I want to make note of them here in the message, and I'm not going to be long here tonight here when it comes to the message on a call to love, but in order to love, there are some things we must leave behind, and they're mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, Wherefore, lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings. You know, if you're going to love, as it tells us to do in verse number 22, you're going to have to put aside some things. To lay aside is to put off like a garment. Again, Romans chapter 13, verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8. All teach us to lay aside some things as believers, or to put aside or to put off some things. What are some of these most important things we must put off in order to love? The first one mentioned here in our text is, again, maybe a word you're not familiar with, but I'm going to try to define it here a little bit here tonight. It mentions lay aside all malice. What is malice? Malice is ill will. Malice is defined as any kind of evil. 
All malice would include all kinds of sinful things that one could do that could hurt someone else or hurt ourselves. Lay aside all malice. All sinful malice, all ill will must be laid aside for us to love. And so again, Peter says, hey, leave behind. Wherefore, because you've been born again, because you've obeyed the truth, and because God has been gracious to you, and because you have the Spirit of God in you, and because you have the capacity to love, lay aside all malice. He mentions here all malice. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, and I don't know that you could do this in this passage of Scripture, but I'm going to do it nonetheless, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I could be right and I could be wrong. I don't know enough about English with all this, but uh, it mentions all malice, it mentions all guile, and at the end it mentions all evil speaking. But it doesn't mention all hypocrisies, and it doesn't mention all envies. But I would think that would seem to make sense. It's, it's talking along the same lines. But again, if we're going to understand what we need to lay aside to love, we need to lay aside all ill will and any kind of evil or evil thoughts or evil things that maybe are part of our life. But also, as newborn babes is mentioned there in verse number two, uh, we need to lay aside all guile. Now there's another word that maybe we're not familiar with or not so familiar with, but uh, again, here in the Bible, what is guile? Guile is any kind of deceit. So we need to lay aside all lies. We need to lay aside all false, false speech. All craftiness, all deceitfulness, we need to put away any kind of lying, any stripe of lying, any, any way of lying we might have as a part of our life. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. just want to show you this here in Ephesians chapter 4. Peter's uh, talked about we need to lay aside all, all guile. But again, we find Paul saying, and again, this basically saying the same thing, maybe a little bit different words, but uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, Verse number 22, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Deceit and deceitful lust. And so we need to put away lying. Again, it mentions in this text a number of different things. Put away anger and, and it mentions again, put away uh, sin, uh, uh, wrath and put away stealing and and to put away not working, if that's, again, a part of your life. And there's things that we should put away. But uh, let's go back to our text. If we see in our text there are things that, that would hinder us from loving. Uh, it mentions there we need to put aside all malice, all guile. And then it mentions, thirdly here, hypocrisies. And hypocrisy is just being something that you're not. Or presenting yourself or pretending to be something you're not. Again, hypocrisy could be defined by such things as uh, flattering or fraud or trying to falsely represent yourself. Uh, we need to put these things aside. We need to, again, not be a play actor, not be a fake, not to be a pretender, not to be pretentious. Lay aside anything that would make us something that we are not. And so it says, lay aside the hypocrisy along with malice and guile so that you can, you can love like you should and I should. And then it says there, all envies. 
And just want to mention there quickly, envies. Again, again, what is envious? To be, be someone who's jealous or someone that hates someone or someone that's bitter towards someone. And uh, again, we can be in a position where we, where we hold to jealousy or envy. So let's turn to Psalm chapter 73. Someone says, well, uh, we, we can hold to these sinful things after we're saved by grace. No, we can because they were probably a part of our life before we were saved by grace. And uh, yet we can fall trapped to these same sinful things that can hinder us from loving. Psalm 73, verse number one, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to they which are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had all nigh slipped. For I was envious. Now the circle in the Bible. At the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Asaph mentions here what he was envious about. He says there in verse number four, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men are. Neither are they plagued like other men. Wherefore pride cometh them about as a change, and violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They could, they have more than a heart could wish for. And so these individuals, these lost people, these, these individuals here, he talks about the foolish and, and the wicked in verse number eight. He mentions he's envious of them. You say, why is he envious of them? Because they seem to have more materiality than they have. They seem to have more uh, than a heart could wish for there in verse number seven. And uh, they're, they're fat, the Bible says. In other words, they're, they're well off when it comes to eating and all that kind of stuff. And they're not plagued in verse number uh, five as they are. Maybe they don't have the diseases sometimes that you see that Christians would have. And so we see him envious. And you'll find out later on in the passage, and I'm not going to look at this here tonight, but uh, we have no reason to envy the wicked. They will be destroyed. And you see that later in this passage of scriptures but uh we can become envious and this can lead to us not loving as we should i'm not going to help or i'm not going to bless so and so because they have or whatever it might be it can keep us from love let's turn back to our text there in first peter chapter 2 verse number one i want to consider finally a third thing that can i can hinder us sometimes when it comes to uh, being the loving christian that we ought to be and that is in evil speaking it's the last thing it says there uh, to lay aside all evil speakings. And again, the evil speakings can define it in any kind of unkind speech a person might say. Any kind of way might, someone might be as far as slandering or backbiting or whispering or gossiping about somebody else. It says here to put, a, put aside that kind of, of speech. Put away all evil speaking. Colossians, let's turn over there. Paul speaks of this too. I'm just about done here. Colossians chapter three and verse number eight. How, how can you be what you should be as a Christian? You need to put away that past life, that past way of life. Those thoughts that maybe you had a part in and those ways that are not pleasing to the Lord. And uh, again, put on things that would be helpful as a Christian. And so I'm going to read just a little bit about some things that are put off. And again, the list is very similar to the list there given by in 1 Peter 
But uh, let's pick up there in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8, it says. Colossians 3, verse number 8, it says, Put now, but now, sorry, ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice. We've seen malice in our text. Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, mentioned deceit. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which was renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Wherefore, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And then it mentions here things that we need to put on. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, Beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, as Christ has forgave you, also do you. And then notice this, verse 14, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Peter encourages these Christians to love. And Paul encourages Christians to love. And in both cases, they encourage us to put off some things so that we may love. And so going back to our text here tonight, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22, let me encourage you to love. You have the capacity to love. If you're a believer, you have the capacity, again, here to express love. And uh, I encourage you to do so as the Bible teaches us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto an unfeigned love for the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Chapter 2, verse number 1. The wherefore lay aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere miracle of the word that they may grow thereby. If so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter calls these believers in this chapter of the Bible, and in chapter 2 of the Bible, first of all, to holiness, and then he calls them to love. Even though they are persecuted, and although, in some cases, I would guess some are just new babes in Jesus Christ, as it mentions there in chapter 2, verse number 2. Let me encourage you to have a new beginning and a new calling, that is, to holiness and to love. Let's close as we consider the Word of God here tonight. It's good to have you here this morning, and let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and we'll begin by turning to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Very important book in the Bible, the book of Colossians, and certainly would encourage you to read through that again sometime. Again, it talks about the preeminence of Jesus Christ and certainly centers around Jesus Christ and the blood atonement and uh, certainly a lot of good things taught to the church, the book of Colossians. But I'm going to read here this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, uh, all the way to verse number 29, certainly a long text to read through. And, but uh, I think, uh, again, it'll help, be helpful in, in uh, bringing the message here uh, this morning. We've been looking at, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, just what is the golden rule about. And I want to consider here just what is the role of the church. And I think it's important to, for us to understand what the role of the church is. 
and uh, consider that role this morning. And so let's consider here, starting verse number 9, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to the glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the first from, firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you who were sometimes alien and aliens, uh, sorry, in enemies in your mind by wicked works, and now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, made a minister who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up all which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Or if I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to the saints to whom God make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I want to consider what is the role of the church, but I want to say it is actually, I believe, summarized in verse number 28 where it says, when we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I want to consider what is the role of the church. Let's pray as we consider this thought today. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for this morning. We thank you again for the Bible that gives us understanding, gives us wisdom, gives us knowledge, helps us understand uh, what the church is about, what the uh, again, the plan of salvation is about what the 
Again, the will of God is about, and there's so many different things that are unveiled in the scriptures. Again, help us again this morning, again, to consider what is the role of the church. Father, we see again this in the scriptures, and help me again to unveil it as we consider it. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So we consider this thought of what is the role of the church. I want to say the role of the church is not to be involved with everything and do everything for this world. It certainly isn't. That is not the role of the church. You know, we get, I think things kind of meddled up and messed up in our life when we think the world, and the, I mean the church, is to be uh, doing everything and being involved in everything. And someone says, what do you mean? You don't want it to have influence? No, I'm not saying not to have influence. I'm just saying there are roles that God instituted and the role of the church has a specific role in our lives. Again, you see this in the Bible, and again, we want to consider this role. And, and again, I want to just say, to begin with, what is the role of the church? Let me say it is to perfect you, and it's to perfect me. If it's not doing that, it's not doing its job in our life. And again, the Bible says, what is the role? Again, the Bible says, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's to perfect us, it's to make us spiritually mature. It is to make us better in so many different ways. And again, I'm not saying get better like we're better than them, but I'm just saying better being more like Jesus and more like Christ. In fact, this perfecting is also mentioned kind of a little bit different there in verse number 22 of this chapter, it says, and in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What's the church's role in the world? It is to perfect us. And that's a great role for it to play. And we're going to talk about that uh, here this morning. But there are also other institutions that were instituted by God. And again, the, the church's role is to perfect us what is the home's role? The home's role is to provide for us. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. What's the role of the home? Now, every one of us grow up, grow up in different kinds of homes, and certainly every home is different, but what's the role, the role for the home? The role of the home is to provide for us. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, But if any man... Provide not for his own, especially those of his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you look at that passage of scripture, and it's, it's pretty hard. Again, someone says, again, it's pretty bold in what it says, but it does say this. If any provide not for his own, especially those of his own hold, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You say, what do you mean? Why? It says the infidel. What does the infidel do? The infidel will even provide for its own. The unbeliever, anybody in general, will provide for its own. And, and providing for its own is what the home is for, to provide for its own, and especially for its own. I'm not saying it's not, that's where it's limited. We've looked at the golden rule, and uh, we're to, again, to do unto others as we would have them do to, to, to us, and and again, but yet we see here, if any provide not for his own, especially those for his own, how is he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel? So the home is to be a place of provision, provision providing education, providing direction, 
providing affection, again, for children and in the home. And so we see the role of the home. And I just want to mention that as one of God's institutions he created for us. But also want to turn, if you would, over to uh, Romans chapter 13. And we could talk about these a lot more, but we're going to focus on this morning, the role of the church. But there's another institution that God created, and that is uh, what we, also, we often call human government. And uh, what's the government supposed to be involved with? And again, someone says, well, they're supposed to be involved with providing for the home. Did you know that's not it? They're not supposed to be. Oh, well, they provide food. I mean, there's free meals at the, at the government school, at whatever it might be. There's, there's the government's supposed to provide for the home, not, not the, the members of the home providing them for themselves. But again, the government's supposed to have this role of provision for the home. That's not the role of government. I'm, I'm saying it is the role of our government in many cases, in a lot of cases. I shouldn't say in many, but in a lot of cases. But uh, that's not the role of government. What's the role of government? Well, let's look at it just a little bit here. Romans chapter 13, verse number one, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers, and so who's the power? We're talking about the state or the government. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Would thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. If you have your own Bible, you can... You can put off to the sides. That's one of the roles of government right there. The first role of government is to praise the good. That's the role of government. Then it says, For he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he's a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so what's the role of government? It's to praise and it's to punish, to punish the evildoers. You say, what's going on with Israel? Again, what are they doing? I mean, they're just off, they're off doing uh, this and that as far as they're going about going into another area that's not their own, and they're seeking to punish individuals there. What are they doing as a government? They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It goes on there, it says, wherefore, you must needs be subject. Not for wrath, but also for conscience sakes. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. You say, again, what's the role of government? The, the role of government is to take some taxes from you. Take taxes from me. To be able to function as a government. To be in this position where they praise the good and they punish the evildoers. And this is the role of government. And so they have a, a role in society. They, they're there for protection. They're, they're there for, again, hear this idea of punishment. They're there for praising the good. And so that's the role of government. And they, they are ministers of God. And they are, are, are again, this is just as uh, much needed in a society as the church and the family. Any of these three, if you destroy, you make a very dysfunctional society, which we're seeing today. The home is to be a place of provision. 
The church is to be a place of perfection. The government is to be a place of punishment and protection. And these roles make for a very vibrant society if they are, again, what they should be. But again, as we consider the role of the church here today, again, again, I just want to mention, what is the role of the church? Well, if you ask the average individual, I would say they would say the role of the church is to be a humanitarian aid center. A humanitarian aid center. You know, if you need some money, you go to the church. If someone, again, needs, uh, again, maybe some food or some clothing, you go to the church. And again, you may not even be a part of a church, but you go to the church. They think it's a humanitarian aid society. Again, many churches are of that kind. Uh, again, I think about Salvation Army especially is, is kind of the humanitarian church, right? I mean, have you ever heard of the Salvation Army? It's, it's a church. It's also a, an organization. And again, it has functions uh, within and outside uh, the bounds of the church. Again, I can't really help you define that so much here today, but... Again, their, their goal is to feed, the, feed those in crisis, to call those in crisis, to help those with physical, financial needs and all those kinds of things. And, and that would be, again, often what people think about when they think about the church. They say, what is the, what is the church's function? It's, it's for humanitarian aid. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. I'm not saying there's no role for the church to have again, a, a role in humanitarian aid. I'm not saying that. That is not, again, uh, one of the primary roles of the church, but it certainly is a secondary or, uh, again, I don't know what you call it, uh, an extension of the roles of the church. But again, as you see Jesus in ministry and, and the apostles in ministry and the church in action, you'll see primarily their, their role is to get the gospel to all people, first of all. You see this in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 5. It says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Do you ever remember reading about the gospel? I mean, you hear about the disciples carrying a bunch of bread with them or clothes with them, and they were delivering that to different cities. They were bringing, again, you know, humanitarian aid to different places. They were teaching people to maybe farm or, or whatever it might be, and, and uh, that's what they were up to. No, that's not what they were up to. The poor had the, pre- had the gospel preached to them. I'm not saying, again, you can't give the poor. In fact, you are to give the poor, and I'm to give the poor. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. As members of a church, again, someone says, what's the role of the church? Is it a humanitarian aid center? Again, if there's a crisis that takes place, and, and there's a flood that takes place, or a fire, or a destructive hurricane, or whatever it might be that takes place, what should be the role of the church? The role of the church certainly should be to help uh, people. But again, we, we see again, it's not their primary role, but it does say this in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 21. And Jesus said unto him, this young rich ruler, if thou would be perfect, go and sell that which thou hast and give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Give the poor. Jesus did command, especially this individual here who was rich, 
to give to the poor. You know, it's okay for us to give to the poor. It's right for us to give to the poor. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. But, you know, as, as someone who's been saved by grace, my first thing I should be trying to do as a believer is to give the gospel to the poor and to those in need. And again, maybe if I'm helping someone in need and I do give to them, I, I'm going to give them not only some provision, which I often do as, as, as need arises here and there that I'm asked to do or you may be asked to do, but also making sure they get the gospel too. Matthew 26 and verse number nine, he says, for this ointment might be have sold for much and been given to the poor. And so Judas is trying to say that, you know, the disciples saying we could have done different things here. It says, and, and when Jesus understood, he said unto him, why troubles ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always with you. For in that she had poured out this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in the whole world, this shall also, uh, this that this woman be done, be told for a memorial of her. And so we see in the Bible, again, some people will maybe say, you know, this our, our role should be to give the poor. And again, you see again in Matthew 26, again, so that was part of the role of the church, to take things and, and provide for the poor. But it was not the primary role of the church. A humanitarian aid center, you know, people think that's the primary role of the church. It's not. But I want to say this secondly, as we think about the role of the church, if you turn to Mark, Mark chapter 12 there, what is the role of the church? Well, it's to be a political organization that keeps the government in check. That's what some people really do think. It's a political organization that is to keep the government in check. And so again, whether it's, uh, you know, leans, you know, one way or leans another way. Again, they're supposed to be in a position where they keep the government in check. Mark chapter 12 and uh, verse number 16, verse number 17. The Bible says, and he brought it. That's a penny. That's a coin there. In verse number 15, it talks about that. And they brought it and saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? Jesus says, Whose, whose image or superscription is on this coin? And they said, unto him Caesar's. And uh, Jesus answered, he said unto them, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and the things of God, the things that are God. Now, what, what can we get from this? Well, what he's saying, there are things that are for government or for the world. And again, those are things that certainly get fallen in those categories, but they're also things that are God, they're to be God's. In John chapter 18, let's turn over there. You know, it's, it's, it's again, one of those things, again, I think the church needs to be careful about that it doesn't get too politically active. Politically active. Yeah, I say politically active because that's really being governmentally active. In uh, John chapter 18, John chapter 18, again, there's the government and it has this role. And, it, and the role of government is to praise the, the good and to punish the evildoer. 
And uh, we find, again, the, the role of, again, the church is to perfect the saints. But notice here in John chapter 18 and verse number 36 through verse number uh, 39. Let's go ahead and read there. John chapter uh, eight, 18, verse 36. It says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world. Then would my servants fight that I should, be, should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not up from, from, then, from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus said unto and answered and saith unto them, I am a king. For this end was I born. For this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. We therefore that I should release unto you the king of the Jews. Now Caesar again and Pilate were part of the government. And you see here in the Bible, in verse number 36, it says this, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and again, the kingdom of God is not to be of this world. Otherwise, the servants would fight. And so Christians are not to be in a position necessarily where they fight and they war. The government is to protect, to punish, and to praise the good. Christian's role may be to influence the government, but not certainly to overtake the government. Let's turn to John chapter 15. I'm not saying you're not to be influenced in government. Again, the Bible talks about the, that rulers should be uh, people that hate, uh, that are honest and, and follow the truth, and again, are, are not uh, again in a position where they're, they're, they're in a place where they lie or steal and all those kind of things. They're to be honorable individuals, and again, certainly Christians could find roles in government. But uh, in John chapter 15, let's read again here in verse number 18. It says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. And because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, wherefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I had said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. And so the Bible says the world's going to punish you and persecute you. And so the reality is some governments will punish and persecute the Christians. But the role of the, the, the Christian isn't to go around and let's fight the government, let's tear down the government, let's destroy the government, whatever it might be. We're to be Christians that are separate from the world, but certainly we are to influence the world. And we are to influence government. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14 through verse number 16. I think the government should be able to look at a Christian or uh, churches in general and, and be able to get some idea of what is right and wrong. And certainly, again, that's the, the goal, of, again, of the church is to influence the government, just like the role of the family is to influence the church or the church, the, the family or, or the government. Again, we're to influence each other. Certainly, there's some overlap in each other's, but the role primarily of the church is not to be a political institution where you find against some churches, they're totally political when it comes to their role, especially when it comes to elections. 
Matthew chapter four, five and verse number 14, it says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do you light a candle and put it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick and give light to all the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. To be a light to the world. To direct others into the kingdom of God. So again, what is the purpose of the church? It's certainly not to be one of uh, 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 focusing on humanitarian uh, aid and political causes. But what is the role of, gov- again, the church? Well, let's turn back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll see what the role of the church and the church member is. What is the role? Let's start in verse number 9 there, back where we started. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may be walk worthy of the Lord unto all peace, pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What's the role of the church? Is to please the Lord Jesus. To please the Lord Jesus. Let me say this also in this chapter, it mentions to give the Lord preeminence. In fact, you see this in verse number 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from creation, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so what is the role of the church? It's to please the Lord Jesus and to love the Lord Jesus. To please the Lord Jesus and to love the Lord Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Again, it's not the role of government to please the Lord Jesus and love the Lord Jesus. It's not necessarily the role of the family, although a family, again, is spiritual, is going to uh, seek to please the Lord Jesus and love the Lord Jesus. But again, in the church and for members of a church, they are to please the Lord Jesus and love the Lord Jesus. Let's look at some verses that uh, talk about this. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. The Bible talks about Jesus wanting to have preeminent love even over the love we have within a family. Now that might seem strange, that might seem out of sorts, that might, might not seem right. The world would say that's wrong. Your preeminent love should be for your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, whatever it might be. But it says here, he that loved father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Again, what is the church to focus upon? Again, it's to be in a place of seeking to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 22 and uh, verse number 36. The Bible says, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
What is the first fold role of the church? It's to love the Lord Jesus. To love the Lord God, as it mentions here. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. There's a lot of other verses we could look at that say that. But again, someone says, how important is it for us to love the Lord Jesus? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, this is seemingly another a difficult verse sometimes. Again, someone sees a verse like this in the Bible and says, it's a really difficult verse to maybe understand because it seems so plain. It seems actually maybe out of even the, the context of the Word of God. But again, this is written by Paul and his, his scriptures, which were written by inspiration of God, are, are certainly, again, things we need to acknowledge. But it mentions how preeminent this love for the Lord Jesus should be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, it says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. If anybody love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Again, what is Paul saying here? If someone doesn't love Jesus, let him be cut off. Let him be separated from God. Well, that's really a harsh thing. But again, when it really comes down to it, that's, again, uh, so important to God that we love him. And uh, that'd be preeminent in our life. And we're seeking to please him. I'm not, I'm not concerned, and no Christian should be concerned about pleasing other people over pleasing the Lord Jesus. Let's turn back to our text here, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 10. That you work, walk worthy of all of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, again, what is the, the, the role of the church or the church member? It's to give glory to the head, the Lord Jesus. He created us. He made us. He saved us. He bought us. He redeemed us. He's, again, preeminent in the universe. And so he should be preeminent in our heart and preeminent in our love. And so, again, if you're going to fulfill your role in the church, love the Lord Jesus' head above everybody and anything and every, every, every uh, dream or aspiration or whatever you might have in your, in your life. But there's also another role of the church. And again, I want to men make mention that. What's the role of the church? And, and it's found in verse number 28 of this chapter. It says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And so it's the role of the church is to make people like Christ Jesus, to give glory to Jesus, to center their lives around Jesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Is your life centered around Jesus? Again, if you really think you're doing, again, and seeking to do the will of God, we'll be centering our lives around the Lord Jesus. We're, again, in this world to worship him. We're here to honor him. We're here to please him. And we're here to give glory to him, especially in the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, is that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, which we just talked about, and may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, uh, sorry, and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above in all that we ask and think according to the power that worketh in, in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And so what is the role of the church? Well, it's found in verse number 21. And again, we want to talk about that secondly as a fundamental role of the church. Unto him be glory in the church. And so what is the purpose of the church? To give glory and worship to Lord Jesus as head of the church. Again, this is fundamental. And again, I talk and bring a message like this and say that we've heard about this before. Yes, I understand that we've heard about this before. But the Bible teaches us much about the role of the church. It's turned back to Ephesians chapter 1, just like Colossians chapter 1. The role, again, of the church is to give glory to the one who is preeminent. I mean, we can give glory again to something else and make that preeminent. Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1 have a lot of different parallels with them, but uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 12, that, you might, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trust in Christ. We should be the, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, which is an earnest of inheritance on the redemption of the purchase possession unto the praise of his glory. On the praise of his glory. Someone says again, how is the church again to fulfill its role? To give glory to the head, to give glory to God, to give praise to God, to give prayer to God, to center our lives around God. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9. I just want to look at this briefly, some ways that we can give glory to God. And these are simple ways, but they're certainly practical ways. And you see them in, the, in this text here, Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9. How did Paul give glory to the Lord? Well, he says here, verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so how can you, again, be a blessing to God and give glory in the church? It mentions here to pray for others. To pray for others. Someone says, how, how can you give glory to God? Are you sure this is giving, again, glory to God? Let's turn to John chapter 14. How do you give glory to God? If we're to give glory in the church, how can we give glory to God? Again, we see here again another passage that deals with this thought here. And again, I'm, I, I could bring a lot more than that. But uh, John chapter 14, verse 13, a good uh, verse dealing with this. is says, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father be glorified in the Son. When we pray, we give glory to God. You know, when someone prays maybe to Allah or to Mary, whoever it might be, do they give glory to God? No, they don't. And what's if you shall ask in my name, that's in Jesus' name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus will get the glory in the church, and he again gets glory, and the Father gets glory through prayer in the church, and by the church, and by members of the church. And so as he was praying there, turn back to Colossians chapter 3, for those, 
again, at Colossae, that they be filled with the knowledge of God. He was given glory to God through prayer. And again, anybody says, how do you honor God? How do you worship God? How do you give homage to God? You give that through prayer to God, asking God in Jesus' name. But we also see in this text, in verse number 10 through 12, we see again this idea of giving praise or thanks to God mentioned here. In verse 10, it says that you might be walk worthy and unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to the glorious power, unto his all patience and long suffering, giving thanks unto the Father that's made us meet to be our partakers of the inheritance of the saints. And so how do we give glory to God? And it's very simple. We all know that, to praise, to worship, and to thank God. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. There's something that I'm looking forward to someday. And, and again, if you're saved, again, you're looking forward to this someday. If you turn to Revelation chapter uh, 5 there, sorry, I think I said Revelation chapter 2. I'm not sure if I even gave you a reference, but Revelation chapter 5 there. Uh, what is it that God would have from us to give glory to him? He, he, he desire worship and praise from us. And that's why we come to church together in service. To give worship and praise to God. But that's also where you can do that in your home. And you can do that in other different places. You can give praise and honor to God. Revelation chapter 5 again gives us an example of how this, this worship is done. But let's just pick up in verse number 8 of this chapter. Revelation chapter 5 verse number 8. It says that when he had taken the book. Four beasts and four... Uh, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one them harps and golden vials full of the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain as redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, as made us. Unto God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are, are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, honor, and glory, and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Church is to be a, a place where people honor the Lord and praise the Lord and give praise to the Lord and give honor to the Lord and thank the Lord. This is the role of the church. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And again, we're going to turn back here to Colossians chapter, sorry, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 23. What is, what is the role of the church is to, thirdly, it's to herald the truth and to preach the gospel. And again, we could talk a, a lot of that more along that lines. But notice here in verse number uh, 23, it mentions if you continue in the faith, grounded, and settled and be not moved away from the hope which is in the gospel which we have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven 
where Paul made a minister who ministers this preaching and the gospel being interconnected here. Look at verse number 28. It says, Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So what's the role of the church? It's certain to be a place where people are preached to, that they could be perfected. And so that's one of the roles of the church. And we could spend a lot of time on that, but I'm not going to spend much time on that. I don't want to be too long here this morning. But let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. What's the role of the church? It's to be a place where we learn to, to trust in the Lord Jesus and salvation, but also to trust in the Lord with our whole life. Romans chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, What shall we say then? Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found, for Abraham was justified by works. If, sorry, if Abraham was justified by works, he had where of the glory, but not before the Lord. But what say it's the scripture? Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh not is the reward, but not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It goes on and talks about the righteousness of God. And someone says, what is the role of church? It's to help people to put their faith in Christ and to walk in faith in this world and to trust the Lord in this world. And we can read that whole chapter in that, but let's just pick up in verse number 20 there if we could. It says in verse number 20, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that he, uh, what he had promised, he was able to perform, and wherefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Someone says, well, how do we give glory to God? Well, look at verse 20. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. How, how do we give glory to God? Through our faith. By trusting God, our faith in Jesus, our faith in the will of God, in the way of God, in the promises of God, give glory to the Lord. When we trust God, believe God, we give glory to God. Let's turn finally here to Philippians uh, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. What's the role of the church? It's to be a place where you can give uh, Money ties offerings to. I just want a place of giving and, and, and receiving, just like in the Old Testament. Uh, the tabernacle is a place of giving and receiving. So is the church to be a place of giving and receiving, again, monetary things to be able to support missions and missionary endeavors, also to support those in ministry. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when it departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Now what does this say? Just want to stop there. What does this say? It's saying that there's really not any other churches providing for Paul as far as missionary giving or evangelist giving, whatever you want to call it, but those in Macedonia, it says, I departed from Macedonia. No church communed from me in uh, giving and receiving, but ye only. So in Macedonia, what was the church of Philippi? For even Thessalonica, you sent once again unto my necessity. 
And so it went over to Thessalonica, who sent some funds there. Well, well, these Philippians did. It goes on, it says, for even in, uh, sorry, verse 17, not because I desire to give, but I desire the fruit may be account to your account. But I have all and abound, and I'm full, and I have received of Aphrodite the things which you sent from you, an, o- an odor of sweet smell and sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. just want to say this. Missions givings is pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all you need according to the riches of his glory by Christ Jesus. And so what, what gives glory and honor to God? Our giving does. We see this example here of the Philippians giving, and this honors the Lord. They were giving to God so that the, the gospel of God could, could, again, increase and thrive and all those kind of things. But as we consider this, this idea of giving, I just want to mention, if you turn over to Galatians chapter 6, you know, there are different ways in which we can give within the church. There are many different means by which we can give to, in, within a church. And, and so we can give to missions, and we can honor God by that giving. But I want to mention here, as we consider giving, and again, this is kind of just an extension of giving, but it's especially needful that we provide for those that are our own. Just like those in the family, also those in the church. I just want to read here a little bit in Galatians, just a few verses here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken to fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As ye therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them that are of the household of faith. So who should you to help out? Say something terrible came through Valley City, a disease came through Valley City, or maybe, again, we don't have a lot of the elements here that maybe will destroy a city, but maybe, maybe somehow, some way, a, a fire just tore through Valley City and, and many of the households were burnt down. You know, we had a drought, say, this next year, and, and it got really bad, and, and there was a drought, and a fire came through, it just you know, went through Valley City, and uh, a lot of the houses were burned down. Who, who would you first help out or seek to help out? Or who should we first seek to help out? Verse 10 says, As you therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them that are a household of faith. You'll probably seek to help out the Christians first. And you say, why would you help out the Christians first? Because hopefully the Christians who are helped would help somebody else would help somebody else, and on and on it goes. Galatians encourages us to bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Part of the responsibility of the church is to, to help and give and bless their own. But can I say this? We're going back to Luke chapter 6 because uh, last, last couple weeks we've been looking at this thought of do unto others as you would have them do to you? Would, would, our, would our stop, would, our, would the things that we do, would they stop with just those of the household faith? Someone says, oh, I, I covered every Christian family that I know of in Valley City. I tried to help them out. 
And, and I was done and I was worn out. And so I went home and I said, you know, I got it all covered. I, I'm doing what I should be doing. And, and that's where it ends, so to speak. Well, go in verse number 30. What does, what does it say there? Luke chapter 6, verse number 30. Give to every man that asks of thee. Uh, him that taketh thy goods, ask them not again. As you would that men should do to you, do to them also likewise. For if you love them that love you, what thank have you? For sinners shall love those that love them. If you do good to them that do good to you, what thank give you? For sinners do even the same. If you lend to them that you hope to receive, what thank give? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive much again. But it says this, verse 35, But love your enemies and do good. Lend hoping for nothing again that your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful even as your father also is merciful. And then verse number 38, and I mentioned this last week, give and it should be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall make you up to your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And someone would say, well, the fire happens in Valley City next year. You know, we have a ravaging, uh, again, uh, time where there's just really nothing grows or nothing like that happens. And, 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 and houses, for whatever reason, just like in California and in different places, burn down because we're, we're a city of trees. What would you do there? You would help those of your household. You would help those of the church. You would help those that are Christians. And certainly you would extend the help to those who need help and would ask help of you. Again, Colossians encourages us to put Christ preeminent in the church. And that's our goal, to love the Lord supremely, to give glory to the Lord, and certainly to provide and give. Let's close as we consider the word of God here today.